chat, chat. Can you hear me now? Have you ever considered why it is we find the mission that God has given us so difficult to accomplish? When I say mission, I mean the great commission that God has given us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In simple terms, the command to evangelize and the command to disciple one another. Why is it so difficult to accomplish? Why do we fear? Why are we in doubt? Why are we unsure about what will happen, how it would go? Why are we reluctant to take steps of obedience to this mission? Why are we so slack in obeying God's commands? Well, the reason, the simple reason, is that we don't know God. We don't know who God is. What we know about God is, is superficial. We really don't know this God intimately. Because if we know this God intimately, the way we respond would be very different. Unless we know who God is, we will not be able to carry out the mission that He has given us. And if you ask, how do I say that? Our text for today gives us those details. Here's a man, Moses who's been prepared by God over 80 years to deliver God's people from their slavery in Egypt. He's been prepared in Egypt. He's been prepared in Median. But as God calls him for the job, what Moses needed was a revelation of who God was. And that revelation of who God was was the key his training didn't matter. The experiences that he went through were important, but it was not the ultimate thing. It was not something that was not that really mattered. What really mattered was Moses to know who God was, to have a revelation of who God was, and that revelation is what would fuel him to fulfill the mission in front of him. And as we see this commission of Moses, as God reveals himself to him, my goal is to exhort you to know this God who has revealed himself and to obey his mission for us. Know the revelation or know who God is and be captivated by Him because that is what we need if we are to fulfill the mission that is in front of us. Unless we know who He is, unless we are captivated by Him, we cannot fulfill the mission that is in front of us. 
How do we know? That knowing God is what fuels our mission. Nine ways our text shows that the revelation of who God is is what helps us to fulfill the mission. Our text for today is chapter 3 and 4 of Exodus. If you can follow along, we didn't read the whole passage because of the length of the passage, but if you can follow along in your Bibles as we go through it and see how the revelation of who God is helps us fulfill the mission. Firstly, God's holiness demands our reverence. Chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It begins by saying, Moses now was a shepherd tending his father-in-law's flock. He comes to Horeb, a mountain called Horeb, which was also called as Sinai, a place where the people of God would camp for a long time as they make their way to Canaan. And as he's around about that place, God catches his attention through a very strange incident. He's seeing this bush that is burning, yet it's not consumed. Just a beautiful way of, of catching a person's attention. There's some strange act that is going on. It just draws Moses to that place. But notice the first thing that God tells Moses. God says that he is holy. Take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The place was not significant by itself. The place was made holy because of the presence of God in that place. A sinful man cannot approach a holy God just like that. In fact, he cannot approach God with lethargy and, and casually. God is distinct. God is set apart. God is without sin. And a sinful man has absolutely no place near this holy God. And if man had to come anywhere near him, man needed to approach God in the terms that he gives us. Not based on our own terms. Not based on our own whims and fancies. We go to Him based on His terms, in the way that He wants us to come to Him. And what's important is there needed to be reverence in the part of Moses if he had to approach Him. Moses' response just says it all. He sees this revelation, he sees God speaking out of the burning bush, and he hides his face, and he was afraid to even look at God. This is what happens when a sinful man meets a holy God. You see this pattern repeating again and again through history. Whenever there was an appearance of God, there was this sinful man just hiding away in dismay. This is how God's people revere God. As he calls us, and as he commissions us for the mission that is front, in front of us, there is reverence, not lethargy. There is awe, not casualness. There ought to be reverence in the way that we think about him, in the way that we pray to him, 
in the way we speak about Him, in the way we obey Him, in the way that we approach Him in His terms, in the way that we take forward the mission that He has given us. It's not on our terms. He decides. He is holy. And because He is holy, His people are called to be holy. It comes from Him. God's holiness demands our reverence. Secondly, God's compassion gives us comfort and direction. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. This holy God who is set apart, who is distinct, is also a compassionate God. Verse 7, look at what he says. God says, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. He knows it in an intimate way. He's with them in that suffering. God was not going to look at the, the suffering that they were going through, feel pity for them and do nothing about it. Or like Moses, try to do something, give up and then just go away and, and, and sit at median. God was going to do something about it and what he was going to do was going to be accomplished. Look at what God says. I have come down. Verse 8. Interestingly, this is the same phrase that is used in Genesis chapter 11 when the people were building that tower, the tower of Babel. God stoops down, he comes down and he intervenes in a very special way. He disperses the people so that sin does not abound. It's an act of grace. He disperses them into nations. And here again, God comes down and he gathers the people, his people, and he fulfills out his plan. He's intervening at crucial points in history to fulfill his plan. How is he going to intervene? He says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. For the torment that they were facing in Egypt, God was going to deliver them from there. But then notice, it's not just the deliverance that he's bringing them out of. He's going to deliver and bring them out, of, out to the land, a good and broad land. There's deliverance from something to something. God is not just satisfied by just helping them out of oppression and just leaving them there. No, his objective was getting them out of slavery into the good and broad land. Why? So that they would worship him. They were being redeemed to worship. And this was an act of compassion. They were serving the Egyptians. Whom were they called to serve? They were called to serve God. And that's what God is doing in His compassion. He's seeing their oppression. He's bringing them out so that they can worship. That is what God does with us. Does He not? He sees our misery, our helpless estate, he comes down and intervenes. He redeems us from sin to serve the living God. 
We're redeemed to worship. And it is His compassion that does that. It gives us comfort, does it not? It also gives us direction. Because as God was filled with compassion and acted on behalf of those who were oppressed, we as recipients of that compassion are called to act on behalf of those who are oppressed. Those who are oppressed with their burden of sin. Look at what God tells Moses. I've seen this affliction and I'm sending you. Go. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Gives us direction, his compassion. That compassion we are called to show to others. He sends us to the lost. He sends us to the oppressed. He sends us to those who are burdened with their guilt of sin. And show that same compassion to them. But then as we go, what is our identity? That's our third point. God's presence is our identity. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Moses has a crucial question. If you look at verse 11. He says, who am I? After spending 40 years in Midian, he's resigned to the fact that he is a nobody right now. He has no people. He has no credentials. He has no status. And hence the question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? A crucial question to ask. Who am I? The interesting thing is the answer that God gives. God doesn't say, don't worry Moses, you can do this. You have the potential. You have the upbringing. You have all the preparation from these years in Midian. He doesn't say any of that. Notice what God says. The only thing that God says is, I will be with you. That's all that mattered. Implicitly, God was telling him, I know that you are a nobody. I orchestrated the events in your life. I brought you to this place where you feel that you're helpless. I did all of that. But now, I will be with you. This is your identity. And God says, the proof that I will be with you will be shown in the fact that you will return to this very same mountain, not just by yourself, but with the people of Israel, with the nation of Israel, and you will serve God in this mountain. He just told him before that he's going to bring them out of slavery to worship him. And where would that worship begin? At Mount Sinai. And God says, the fact that I will be with you, that the proof of that will be, will be that you will see 
that worship happened right here in this mountain. God was with him. God was his identity as he went out to fulfill the mission in front of him. And even for us, God is our identity. Our credentials don't matter. Our training doesn't matter. Our church doesn't matter. We go and fulfill the mission because He is with us. His presence with us is our identity. We also go in His name. Look, at, look with me in, in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. God's name is our authority. That's our fourth point. God's name is our authority. Verse 13, Moses now shifts the question from who am I to who are you? If I go to the people and tell them somebody sent me and if they ask me what's his name, what should I say? Can you give me more details about who you are? And in one of the most beautiful revelations of who God is, God discloses his name. He says, I am who I am. That's my name. The significance of a name, name of a person, reflects the attributes of that person. It reflects who he is. And here is God saying that he is the self-sufficient God who has no need of other, who has no need of man, who didn't need man in the first place, but created him so that he can share his glory with him. He is the unchanging God. I am who I am. I don't change. I'm eternal. He says, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, if you notice, Lord is in caps in your Bible. It refers to the name Yahweh. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. He's going to live from eternity past to eternity, future. I am who I am, Yahweh. And thus, he would be remembered for all generations. Thus, he is worshipped across all generations. What he says he is as Yahweh. He gives them his name. He says, I need no other. I'm sovereign. He clarified who he was and the authority based on which Moses was going to go and speak to the elders was based on that name the one who sent him. Tell them, the Lord, Yahweh, sent me to you. The God of your fathers sent me to you. We go 
to fulfill the mission not based on our own names, our own credentials. We go in the name of Jesus. We go in His name. It is His mission. And so we go in His authority. Fifthly, God's plan gives us clarity. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 22. So far, God has told Moses a high-level plan of of what's going to happen. But now in these verses, what you see is God details out these plans. He gets into the specifics. He says, verse 17, I've observed all that has been done and I promise that I will bring you out. Here is a declaration, here is a promise that the the God of all the earth is making to a human being. But notice also the details that God is giving of his plan. Verse 18. As Moses goes to the people of Israel, what, how will they respond? They will listen to your voice, he says. You now go to Pharaoh, you along with the elders, and ask him permission to leave. And how will Pharaoh respond? Pharaoh will not allow you unless he is compelled by a mighty hand. I will strike Egypt. I will do wonders. And then he will let you go. And how will you go? Not empty, but full. So you will plunder the Egyptians. Do you notice the details of the plan that God gives Moses? And as you read on in Exodus, these very plans come to exact fulfillment. Not a word is wrong. Not a word is spoken loosely. Everything comes to pass according to God's plans. And when He commissions us, when He gives us that mission to fulfill, He doesn't leave us in the dark. He gives us clarity. He doesn't tell us now in our mission who will listen to us and who will not. But He gives us a fair idea, a good enough idea of what to expect as we go and fulfill the mission. He's given that to us. There's clarity in what He's given to us. God's plan gives us clarity. Sixthly, God's power gives us proof. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Moses, the response of Moses, he's still unsure. He's doubtful. God just told him, the people will listen to you. And what does Moses say? The people will not listen to me. Chapter 4, verse 1. They will not believe me or listen to me. Moses is so confident, this is how it's going to turn out. And what does God, how does God respond? 
God graciously reveals his power by giving him three signs and asks him and tells him, go do these signs before the people of Israel. What are those signs? A staff in his hand, when it's put down, becomes a snake. And when it's caught again by the tail, becomes a staff again. A, lep- a hand that is put inside the cloak turns leprous. And then when it is put again, it becomes whole again. And a third sign, water from the Nile turned into blood. In each of these, God was showing his power over animals, sickness, creation. In all of these, each of these, that is the the snake, the leprosy, the Nile, all of these were considered significant, very significant by the Egyptians before whom he had to go and do these signs and wonders eventually. What was God telling him? God was showing that his authority and power, it extends over all. and That it was more than sufficient for Moses to do the task at hand. He was going to go based on God's being with him, God being his identity, going in the name of God and going in the power of God. God's power is more than sufficient to do our task at hand. He promises to gather his elect. He promises to show his power in the saving of sinners by doing the miracle of changing their hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. This is what God promises as his people take forward the mission. And as we see his power being displayed in the saving of sinners, we are sure that it is his power that is at work. Seventhly, God's mercy gives us hope. Chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Moses starts giving more excuses now. He says, Oh Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow in speech and tongue. God is still patient with him. He reveals more of himself. He asks, Who made the man's mouth? Just a rhetorical question. Who made it? He gives him another promise. If Moses did not get what God said before, when he said, I will be with you, he gets more specific now. He says, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to speak. Moses still doesn't get it. He doesn't want to do this. He just gives up. He says, he just puts his hands up and he says, I'm not doing this. Please send somebody else. God's anger is kindled, but he doesn't act out of anger. He gives him help. His brother Aaron. God has been preparing Aaron as well. God knew what would happen. He knows the end from the beginning. 
And God's been preparing Aaron in Egypt to be his mouthpiece as he works through Moses and through Aaron. The promise now, God says, I will be with your mouth and his. And I will teach you both what to do. You see the mercy of God? In spite of all the excuses, his mercy doesn't end. He gives him that staff with which he will do signs in Egypt and with which God would use to bring out the people and deliver his people. And he says, go. Moses goes back to Midian and the mercy of God continues. He goes and asks permission to his father-in-law Jethro, Jethro and immediately Jethro says, go in peace. No questions asked. God again appears to Moses and says, well, even the man who wanted your life, Pharaoh, he's dead. Go. Go to Egypt. Do you see how merciful God is? He reveals his mercy even as he commissions Moses. And even though Moses is reluctant for the task that is at hand before him, and this same God is merciful to us with the many excuses that we give. He patiently teaches us, reveals more and more of himself through those failures. He works out things sovereignly to encourage us to take steps of faith. All for what? So that you can feel good? No. So that you can fulfill the mission that is in front of you. His mercy gives us hope. But we dare not take His mercy for granted. Because what follows is God's justice demands obedience. Point number eight. God's justice demands obedience. Chapter four, verses 21 through 26. God tells Moses, do all these signs that I've given you, not just before the people of Israel, but go do this before Pharaoh. But what was God going to do with Pharaoh? He says, I'm going to harden his heart. And this hardening of heart was a result of, of God's justice because of the oppression that he was dishing out to the people of Israel. He tells Moses, Tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. A firstborn son was a special son. The son who had the inheritance. The son to whom a majority of the inheritance would go to. And in the most intimate of ways, God tells Moses, this people that you're going to lead out, they're my children. Israel is my son, my firstborn they were special in his sight. Go tell Pharaoh, let my son go, that he may serve me. Pharaoh wasn't going to do it. And God tells Moses, this is what you have to tell Pharaoh. And the warning is crystal clear. 
if you don't let my son go, I will kill your son. God is a God of justice. Judgment is sure. The judgment that is pronounced on Pharaoh is fierce. And the judgment that is pronounced on those who are oppressing God's people is fierce. God's justice demands obedience. But is this, just, is this obedience, the demand of God to obey Him, is this just for those who are oppressing Him? Is it not for His people too? It is for them. Because what you see in the very next few verses, the judgment of God is no different for His people when they persist in sin. In verses 24 to 26, you, see, you just see a bizarre set of events that happen. Moses is, has set out with his wife and child to go to Egypt. But then what happens is that Moses, being an Israelite, he was supposed to circumcise his son. It was a sign of the covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the people who are part of God's people, God's elect, God's covenant. Moses was mindful to recognize his identity in the naming of his son, but he missed out a very important covenant symbol which marked out who God's people were. Circumcision. And notice from the sequence of events, Moses has just returned from having a direct revelation of God where God has showed himself in miraculous ways and even after this revelation of his holiness, his compassion, his name, his power, his mercy, his plan, for Moses to live in disobedience to God's command was simply not done. So what does God do? God seeks to put Moses to death. God's justice shows no favors. Even if it costs losing a leader whom he has prepared for 80 years, God will fulfill his justice. God does not need disobedient and obstinate people for his mission. Moses is under attack. We don't know how. But then Zipporah, his wife, gets into action. She circumcises her son and touches Moses' feet with that blood. God's justice demands obedience. And only by returning to the way of obedience could Moses continue in the mission that God gave him. What was needed from Moses' side was obedience. And unless he obeyed, he was in no way going to lead God's people out of slavery. If he had to take out God's covenant people who were marked by that sign of circumcision, his own son had to be circumcised. God is merciful to us in our failures, but his patience doesn't last forever. We cannot continue in disobedience and excuses 
and think we are God's children and participate in the mission that he's given us. God does not need such people. In fact, those who make it a practice of sinning are not God's people. God's people are marked by their obedience and his justice demands obedience. Ninthly, God's faithfulness drives us to worship. Chapter 4, verses 27 through 31. Moses obeys God and God leaves him without punishing him. Whom does he meet? God sends Aaron, just as he promised, whom he has prepared already to go and meet Moses and encourage him. They meet at Sinai, at the same place, and share that for all that God has said and God has done. They both now go to the elders of Israel and share all that has happened. And what's the response? Just as God said. They believe. Verse 31. They believe. They heard about God's visitation. They bow their heads and worship Him. God was faithful to His promise. And you can imagine the joy and relief Moses would have had in seeing the response of the people of God. The same people who said, who made you a judge over us? Receiving this message. Seeing the signs and saying, believing. It would have been such a joy and a relief. Not just was it their joy and relief, that is for Moses and Aaron, but even more for the, the elders of Israel. They hear about a God who has visited them, who has seen their affliction, who promises to act. And their response is fitting to anyone who would hear about God's deliverance. Belief, hearing of all that God has done, bowing our heads and worshipping Him. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness, drives us to worship. Worshipping Him with all of our life. And a key part of that worship is us being obedient to fulfill the mission that is in front of us. Do you see how God reveals who He is as He commissions Moses? Do you see his attributes? Do you see his plan being revealed so beautifully? Without that, Moses could not proceed with the mission that is in front of him. If he had no clue about who this God was, if he had not seen his power, his character, he had no fuel to go and do the mission that was in front of him. He needed to know who God was if he had to proceed with the mission before him. And notice this revelation of who God was to his people, it came after a prolonged period of time. The last that you see of God speaking to someone, revealing who he is, was way back in Genesis chapter 46 where, where God speaks to Jacob and tells, go to Egypt. And almost after 400 years of silence, you see, God 
coming down and revealing himself and promising to deliver his people out of slavery and deliver them to the land of promise so that they can worship. There would be another 400 years of silence after which God would come down again. God's only son, Jesus, the eternal word, became flesh and dwelt among his people so that people can see his glory. And as Jesus comes, what does he do before he commissions his people? He reveals who God is. He reveals so that with that revelation, his disciples can fulfill the mission. You look at the life of Jesus and you compare against all that happens in the burning bush. You see he reveals God's holiness. You see his life set apart. No sin. He sees sin and he acts. He, sees, he goes to the temple, the place where the presence of God dwelt. He sees it desecrated. He gets into action. His own life is sinless, holy. He reveals God's compassion. He sees the people in their bondage to sin. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He gets into action. He promises his presence just before he, he ascends. As he meets with his disciples and as he commissions them, what does he tell them? I've trained you all these years, so go. He doesn't say that. He says, behold, I am with you till the end of the age. Go. He clarifies God's name. The God who said, I am who I am. He sends his own son to explain, to clarify, to elaborate what it means so that his people would get a fuller and a more deeper revelation of who he is. You read the book of John. You see, when people are in doubt of who Jesus is, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He clarifies who he is. He tells us God's plan. He gives us clarity. God's plan is to save a people for himself. He says how that's going to happen. It's going to happen through the preaching of his word. And as God's people preach, some will accept and believe. How? Because God is going to open their eyes. God is going to change their hearts. And some will reject and oppose and persecute. There will be hostility. There will be persecution and discord, even amidst family members. Jesus shows his power in the signs and wonders that he does to prove that he is from God. 
Again, you look, look at the Gospels, you look at the, the Gospel of John, and you see the signs that Jesus does to attest that He is the Messiah. He is the one sent from God to reveal who God is. And His power is revealed supremely in Him defeating death, rising up from the dead, and ascending into heaven. He shows God's mercy in pursuing a people who don't understand, who give excuses, who just don't get it. He shows His mercy in, in patiently teaching them and bearing with their failures. He shows God's justice in the way He rebukes in the way that he pronounces curses on those who are oppressing God's people and warning people about the justice of God that is yet to come. But God's justice is revealed by Jesus ultimately at the cross where God's justice his faithfulness, His mercy meets together. Sinful man had to die for his sin. Jesus, revealing who God was, revealing the heart of the Father, is faithful to the mission that God sent him to, goes faithfully to the cross and gives up his life to pay the price for wretched sinners like you and me. And it is in this very act he shows his justice and his faithfulness. And friends, God who has revealed himself at the burning bush has graciously revealed himself in the person and work of his son Jesus. And this revelation that he gives to us is for a reason. The fitting response for this revelation that Jesus brings is to believe, to hear, to bow our heads and worship him. If you are here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus, as you hear about who this God is, the God of the Bible, would you respond this way? Would you see that God has revealed himself so beautifully through the Bible and he's done everything that needed to be done for your sin to be paid for so that you are no longer oppressed by your sin so that you can be delivered from your slavery to sin, to worship Him, to have a relationship with Him. Not just for now, but for all eternity. He's done that, and He's revealing Himself to you. The only fitting response is for you to bow your head in worship to Him. And for us who believe, worship is what is expected. Offering up our bodies as living sacrifices, as Paul puts it. That is our worship. 
And as I mentioned, an integral part of our worship is to fulfill the mission that is in front of us. God's revelation of who He is should result in worship and that worship implies that we are on mission. Since we have such a great revelation, far greater than what Moses had in the burning bush, what excuse do we have to not be on mission? Because if we know who He is, we will be on mission. If we know His holiness, we will not take Him for granted. We will not do as we please. If we know His compassion, we would see how much He's loved us in delivering us from sin to worship Him. And we will show that same compassion to others. He's given us direction. If we know that His presence is with us and that is our identity, we would not be busy figuring out who we are. But we will be busy figuring out who He is. And we will be going with that identity. We would not be busy finding our worth in our knowledge, in our training, in our strength. But we would be utterly satisfied and confident because He is with us and He has promised His presence to be with us till the end of the age. If we know His name, we would be sure that we don't go and preach or say anything because we are great. But we go in His authority. It is His name that we proclaim. It is His name that we stand for. It is His name that gets all the glory. If we know His plan, it would bring us clarity, so much clarity on how our mission would go. It wouldn't leave us surprised, dejected, frustrated, and angry when people say no to us, when people reject us, and even our own family members oppose us. It wouldn't surprise us. If we know His power and how His power is revealed, we would be eager to see His power being revealed in the saving of sinners as the gospel is proclaimed. We wouldn't be afraid to boldly preach the truths of the gospel to both unbelievers and believers, irrespective of the repercussions. Because it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If we know His mercy, it would give us hope. Though we fail, though we mess up, He doesn't fail. He picks us up even when we fall down. He encourages us to walk. He promises again. He reveals more of Himself so that we can get back on the mission that He's given us. 
if we know his justice we would not continue in disobedience we would not harden our hearts and disobey his call to preach the gospel to the lost we would not continue to harden our hearts and not care for your fellow brothers and sisters in the church we wouldn't continue to give excuses on why we can't disciple others or why we can't share the gospel we won't be giving excuses like i can't speak i can't explain the gospel properly i don't have time the season of life that i am in is not conducive send somebody else what if they reject me what god tells us is take your eyes off yourself and put it on who he is you go based on his authority his name his power all that is required from you is to be faithful and obedient and even as you preach he works in people's hearts not you not your eloquence not your training all you need is to obey and if you know his faithfulness it would result in worship it should result in worship the original reader of this passage they were the israelites they were reading this as they were making their way to the promised land they were to see god's revelation to moses as they were reading these passages of the burning bush they were to remind themselves of who god was they were to look back at the deliverance that god had already given them and they needed to march on in obeying what god has asked them to do as we read this we are to remind ourselves of god's revelation see the greater deliverance that god has given us already through one who is greater than moses and march on towards our promised land obeying the mission that he gives us we have everything that we need to carry out this mission god has revealed himself and that is sufficient for us to take forward this mission that he has given to us know him so that you can worship him by fulfilling the mission that he has given us may god help us